Mi nombre es María Varias Hernández. I'm a student at UC Berkeley studying psychology and Chicanx studies, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. In today's podcast, I'm going to be discussing the quick politicization of MS-13 and how one of the deadliest gangs in El Salvador grew to control a whole country. But before we jump into anything, I'm going to go ahead and give you a second to pause this, go pull up your favorite snack, and get ready to come to the table for a great discussion on some real-life issues. But I'm beyond excited to bring this content to y'all and showcase what I've learned. On a serious note, I want to add that in this podcast, I don't wish to add to the body of work that dehumanizes and criminalizes El Salvador based on gang relations. There's an overload of research that has only focused on gang violence and suffering in Central America as a whole, without acknowledging the beauty, the culture, the academia that arises in this part of the world. Instead, I really want to just offer critical analysis, a great discussion about the politicization and the politics, political figures and events that led to the rapid growth of a criminal group. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the podcast. The problem is that gangs are not the cause, they are the consequence of something. Something which demands a comprehensive and urgent social project. According to Bukele, the MS-13 is getting stronger and more violent in El Salvador. Not, not only a new government is coming in, but also a new era for El Salvador is, is, is coming in because we're turning the page on the post-war era. The problem that we have is that the gangs, that are obviously not the same thing as organized crime, but operate in the same way and provoke the same results, have been allowed to evolve. They, they are a quasi-state because they, they, they function like they, they, they collect taxes, they provide security, which means I'm not going to kill you, right? Right, right. We also have a huge poverty problem, a lack of opportunity. So when one speaks of the murders in El Salvador, one has to put them in context. What you just heard are the all too familiar headlines and news and the oftentimes empty promises from either past or current presidents of El Salvador. As can be seen, MS-13 has been dominating the conversation around El Salvador and Central America as a whole. What I feel is missing from this conversation, though, is a critical analysis of how MS-13 gained the power they did and basically how MS-13 learned politics. How did a gang gain control of an entire country and why have we not seen this type of power reproduced? There are many things that make the situation in El Salvador unique. In order to address those, we must begin at the origin. How did MS-13 begin? Okay, so let's start digging into that. In the 1980s, El Salvador was going through a civil war. During the civil war, El Salvador was in extreme violence and poverty. As such, a lot of people were fleeing the Northern Triangle and coming into the United States. A lot of these refugees consolidated in Los Angeles and people began consolidating into bigger groups. It was under these conditions that the first phase of MS-13 began. During this time, they were called MSS, which stood for Mara Salvatrucha Stoners. 
They really bonded over heavy metal, drinking, smoking, petty crimes. But over the times, they began to pick other fights with other gangs, uh, specifically Barrio 18, which we still see that rivalry continue today. By picking up more crimes, it began to be on the radar of police in the area. And soon enough, LAPD and national law enforcement were trying to tackle these issues by mass incarceration. It's really no coincidence that during this time as well, government administration, specifically in the mid-1990s, the Bill Clinton administration, made it their priority to quote-unquote tackle gangs and immigration, creating the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. Now, let's take a step back. Why is this controversial? If we think about today's politics, we see that there's a large push for mass deportation in all, regardless of what type of refugee you are or what type of immigrant you are. There is a heavy criminalization of immigrants in general. A lot of people in our current politics in the United States, whether you're Republican or Democrat, really attribute this mess of immigration back to the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. What did this act do? It gave way to the mass deportation of incarcerated refugees back to the Northern Triangle. And it really overhauled immigration enforcement in the US and it laid the groundwork for the massive deportation machine that exists today. But let's put it in context. El Salvador was just coming out of the civil war in which the United States had sticky hands in. When MS-13 members were deported from the United States, they were rapidly developing within weak governments and had to their disposal a large pool of adolescents that did not have much hope for an El Salvador post-Civil War. Okay, so now that we understand the context in which MS-13 arrived in El Salvador in the first place, we can start taking a look at what were the presidents of El Salvador doing to combat this new issue. So we're first going to focus on uh, Presidente Flores, Francisco Flores. Presidente Francisco Flores was part of the right-wing group called ARENA, or the National Republican Alliance. He was in office from 1999 to 2004, and he really paved the way for how the government was going to handle relations with MS-13. So in July 2003, Flores was the first president to make gang violence and tackling gang violence a national issue. But by the time Flores had made it a national issue, MS-13 had already been terrorizing the streets for many years. Once Francisco Flores was actually elected, he started enacting policy that would combat gangs. The first and most famous is El Plan Mano Dura, or LAM. What this law called for was an extreme crackdown on all gangs and those who were affiliated or even looked to be affiliated with gangs. Many critics of these harsh laws label it a political prop aimed to get the votes of the people. Behind closed doors and during these mass incarceration periods, MS-13 was actually undergoing great changes. They were broadening and solidifying territory. They were creating hierarchies, internal structures, and solidifying their monetary income via extortion. These are all different forms of politics that MS-13 was doing to sophisticate their gang. One of the main instigators of this growth, this politicization of MS-13, is our following one. From 2009 to 2014, Presidente Funes took office as Presidente de El Salvador. During this year of 2009, his election year, El Salvador was also named the country with the most homicides in the Western Hemisphere. One of the, the most disastrous things that Presidente Funes did for relations, government relations is the truce 
So in 2012, the Funes government, along with leaders of the two major gangs in El Salvador, Barrio 18 and MS-13, sat and spoke of a truce that would decrease homicide rates in exchange for money and other privileges. It was this action that led MS-13 to realize the political power they held and their ability to sway government officials. This dialogue with MS-13 from government officials created a pathway for further corruption and altered politics so much that the government could no longer turn their back on coming to an agreement with criminals. What we see after the truce is a spike in homicides again. Homicides rose exponentially from one day to the next again, the same way that they dropped. And what we see now is there was actually recent discoveries of mass graves hiding the victims of hundreds of unreported murders that proved how ill-advised the strategy of the truce was and actually did little to reduce any type of violence. Instead, it actually let the gangs consolidate their turf, it let them increase their drug smuggling, and become a key part of the ruling party's political base. Okay, so I just went over a whole lot. So let's take a second to break this down and to discuss what is going on here. So first, El Salvador's government and MS-13 plus other gangs act as opposing forces which exemplify legitimate or recognized political power with El Salvador's government versus de facto political power which we see in MS-13 and other gangs. Government officials are publicly denouncing gangs and gang relations while then sitting down and negotiating behind closed doors. This in itself begs the question, is there any way to decrease homicides without negotiating with MS-13 and other gang members? Is a government without gang relations a reality we can expect to see in El Salvador? These negotiations also emphasize a different kind of political power MS-13 has. MS-13's political power comes via homicide rates and their hierarchical semi-organized system that allows for a chain of command. So my next question moving forward then is, should this type of power be recognized? If the answer is no, well then can we ignore the type of political power and political pool that MS-13 and other gangs have in El Salvador? It's my belief that Presidente Bukele is grappling with this question himself. Presidente Bukele is the current president of El Salvador. He was just elected in 2019. We have to really position Bukele within the context of political ideology in El Salvador. So just six months before the election, Bukele joined Ghana, or the Grand Alliance for National Unity Party. But of course, he claimed to be a leftist person, and Ghana is very associated with ARENA, which is a right-wing party. President Bukele actually ran as a fierce critic of other presidents and used campaign slogans like there's enough money when nobody steals it, return what was stolen, again referring to the alleged disappearance of funds from the administrations of Presidente Francisco Flores and Antonio Saca. He's been a strong advocate against negotiations with gang members. He um, reenacted a lot of the Plan Manoduro policies, yet this time he also added a lot of social reform and social change. President Bukele proposed a security plan um, called the Security Plan of Territorial Control, which has seven phases. The first three phases are focused on gaining control of Salvadorian territory, the social reconstruction of communities, and two, the modernizing of police. Plans four through seven are unknown still, not to the public. 
In recent days, El Salvador has had the lowest murder rate since the Civil War ended, which is really telling of Bukele. But based on previous presidents, we also have to question, is this due to policy or is this due to things that are occurring behind closed doors? Now that I have presented an overview of MS-13 and government relations, I wanted to bring in another perspective. Adolfo is a second year student at UC Berkeley with firsthand experience of living in El Salvador during the time period we are discussing. So first of all, thank you so much, Adolfo, for being here. I'm gonna go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Well, thank you, Maria, for the introduction. And yes, uh, my name is Adolfo. And I actually came to the United States at about four years ago. Uh, yes, I live in Salvador uh, up to until the year of the 2017. We moved away my family here to the United States, looking for like more stable um, type of life. Right, right now I'm currently like studying Berkeley MCV. I'm trying to do an emphasis in neurobiology because I want to like further apply for uh, the medical school to become a pediatrician. Oh, that's awesome. So I want to start with, can you tell me a little bit about how electing a president works in El Salvador? Well, yeah, <laughs> in El Salvador it's, it's completely like different. So here in the, United, in the United States, you guys have the Electoral College, and then pretty much they are the ones that like decide who like, no, is gonna be the next president. Compared to El Salvador, it's more the popular board. So they go put it for, uh, for the popular board. I think that voting system plays a lot, a, a big role in the power that MS-13 holds in El Salvador today, but we'll definitely get back to that. Uh, so just the, the next part of this is, do you view MS-13 as a political organization? They're involved in politics. Yes, they're totally involved in politics. But I think it's just something that is really hiding for, uh, for you know, it's really hiding because of the government. Yeah, as you said, I totally agree with that. I think that a lot of times MS-13 plays a big role, but behind closed doors but before we get into um a lot of the more newer age presidents um especially like bukele who's in office right now i know in during president funes's administration and his time in the presidency there was a truce between barrio 18 and ms 13 and um during that time we saw the largest decline in homicide rates right a lot of people have said that it is one of the big moments in which MS-13 was given real political power. Do you think this is true? So yes, I think that this is the time period where like, you know, uh, MS-13 was involved really in politics. And when I say like really involved in politics, not in like doing policies and things like that for like, you know, the country or like different like states, like, you know, things like that cities but it was more like i'm gonna help you with this and then let me know with what you can help me with the truth yes it really helped to like for like two three weeks manage like you know violence and several things like that and uh, you even you mentioned it you know the homicide rates really dropped but then those homicide rates went back in ms-13 I think they saw this truce as an opportunity to gain more um, control when it's like when it comes to territory against Bio 18. 
it makes you question, you know, what the relationship between government and um, gangs are in El Salvador, and how do you address it, right? Because you just come off of, sorry, you just come off of Saka, who had Plan Mano Dura and uh, Flores before him, who also did uh, Plan Mano Dura into this new age of politics where it's negotiations. None of them are working, right? So, like, what? Where do we go from there? Yeah, I think that, um, this negotiation, like when you're going back, I mean, going back to Salvador during that time period, none of them were working. And then it was more just like, for the citizens, it was more like this gangs getting more territory in, the, in politics and getting more like, they were becoming more involved in politics. Well, we've gone through foodness and we've gone through talking about his negotiations with the truce. Um, Bukele, which, uh, who was elected in 2019, has been a prominent voice against negotiations with gangs. What do you think about this new topic? Uh, do you think Bukele will be that president who does something different? Do you see a government in Bukele and his administration that can break negotiations with MS-13? Oh, yes. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And then... But yeah, so going, you know, like um, talking about Bukele's administration, I think for the Salvador, he was a really change, I want to say. I really like turned to like everything that was happening with negotiation and things like that with gains. Um, he's uh, right now with his new party. It's like he has that power and that opportunity to like actually change what has happened with the left, you know, with the two past queens that have been, you know, formed uh, in the government uh, of El Salvador. So my last question to you is, is there anything I missed, anything you want to add or anything you'd like to discuss in more depth? You know, I think we have covered everything that, you know, we could talk about during that time period of, like, you know, how MS-13 has been involved in politics and Salvador during this past administration, like, left wing and the right wing, you know, Funes, Saka, and Serena administration. And then how this contrasts to what, like, the current administration is doing right now with President Bukele. And I think, like... Um, even Salvadorans that are like, outside of the, you know, of the country, they are still like following their administration. Kind of like, Bukele is in the right position, and Bukele is in that right now is the a really kind of struggle. But at the same time, you know, he could use it either way to kind of stop those negotiations. And that's why I say like everyone is actually you know, putting the eye on the administration, what he's going to do. And I think, like, and, you know, just answer the question that we actually talked at the beginning of, of uh, this, um, you know, our conversation. It was like, yeah, like, unfortunately, MS-13 is still is involved in politics. Just that now is, you know, I would be like, not too much as it was in past, in past um, administrations but they're still involved in politics and I think like this is not gonna take just a Bukele's administration to keep you know those manodura that have been implemented in Salvador. 
Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here, um, for letting us kind of, you know, go around your ideas and your mind for a little bit. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that, um, you know, we've both walked away from here with some new discussion and um, a new perspective on this. But thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your time. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you to uh, Maria for inviting me. If you're listening to this now, that means you have made it to the end of my podcast. I am beyond grateful for everyone who's listening in today. To make some closing remarks, I really want to emphasize that the holistic approach to analyzing the MS-13 politicization in El Salvador requires an in-depth discussion of the context in which events take place. But with that being said, I really hope you took something and learned something from this podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. This is your host, Maria Varias Hernandez, a second year student at UC Berkeley studying psychology and Chicanx studies. And it was a pleasure to share with you some of the things I've been learning this semester. Thank you. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn.